I love it. Hey, anybody go to Thunder Over Louisville last night? Woohoo! Yeah. We um we took our kids. Uh, Jack had been when he was little, little, and Cash had never been. So we decided it was a good time for our kids to see what being in Louisville is all all about, right? Um, so it was it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. We went over to where like where the the soccer team plays. Lynn Family Stadium is kind of where we hung out. Um, and so it was, it was, we, had, we had a couple really kind of fun moments last night uh, at Thunder Over Louisville. If you've never been, you need to go. It's a blast. Um, but we had a couple fun moments. Number one was the air show. The air show is my favorite. And you like air show fans? Like the air show is my favorite. And so last night they had all like the great planes were out yesterday. But like they closed with two F-18 Super Hornets, which is just awesome. If you know anything about those planes, they're fantastic. So these planes are flying around. And like we're out there watching the planes. And there's this family kind of sitting back to the left. And these planes, if you know, like these jets, when they make those high-speed passes, they kind of whistle as they go by. And this, this little boy asks his dad, Dad, what's that sound? And no joke, the dad, in all seriousness, like real low voice, goes, Son, that sound is freedom. And it's just, I'm like, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. Like, it was so good. And then, um, like, we got there. So we, we parked out in the parking lot. We watched the fireworks from uh, my Jeep. I took the top and the doors off the Jeep so that you could see it and all this kind of stuff. We had this plan. If you've ever been to Thunder, you got to know. you got to know how to escape, right? It's not about getting in. It's about getting out. And so we had this plan that we were going to park in the back, and then we're, like, like during the finale. Because that was head fake you with the finale. Like, you think it's over. And then it's like, no, no, no. We're actually going to, like, drop bomb. Like, it's going to be crazy. So we knew, like, we're going to like, get in the car and start driving um, to where, like, to, to get out, like, during the finale. And these people were in the parking lot, and they were in this, like, the choice spots. Like, you had to get there at probably, like, 10 o'clock in the morning. And the finale is going across at, like, 10 o'clock at night. And right when the finale starts to go, traffic stops. And so this poor family that waited 10 hours to see the finale, we stopped right in front of them. And so they got to watch my family enjoy the finale, right? So it was, uh, I'm like, I'm really sorry. So, you know, if there's somebody scrolling today going, who was the jerk in the Jeep that stopped right in front of us? It was me. I'm sorry. Um, Hey, I got a real shameless plug before we dive in. Today, if you're new to adventure, if you've never, um, if you've been checking us out for a while and want to get to know a little bit more about who we are, what we're all about, how to get connected, right after service, we are hosting something called Starting Point. So we're going to go through a little bit of, of some of the information, how to get connected, what we're all about. But then after that, we are grilling out hamburgers, hot dogs. It's going to be a blast. So I just want to invite you to stick around, right? You, some people have registered. If you didn't register, that's okay. Stick around. We would love to invite you to Starting Point today. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. We're going to kick off a new series today. Let's pray. Jesus, today we are excited to talk a little bit about what this thing called worship is. And, 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 and there are times that we go through the motions, right? You, you encountered people like this day in and day out in your ministry, we go through the motions, we show up at church, and we do things that we think we're supposed to do and not really understanding what they mean or why we do them. And, and today, Father, I pray that as we dive into this thing that we do, what is worship all about? I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the truth of what this is. You'd help us connect dots uh, to what, what, what it means to really and truly worship you. But more than anything, I pray, Lord, that we would see you as worthy of our worship we would begin to understand what it really means to to worship who you are. Not just to go through the motions and do worship, but to fall more and more and more and more and more in love with you. Because you love us. Just like we celebrated last week, you love us enough to give your life for us. And so, Lord, today we want to lean into that. Now, Lord, open our ears, our eyes, soften our hearts to your truth today as we dive in. We love you. Can you hear me pray? Everybody said? 
All right, so I am excited for the series that we are about to dive into over the next few weeks as we are going to unpack what it means to worship. What is worship? Because there are a lot of things that we do. There are a lot of things that we show up and do. If you've grown up in church, if you've been in church for a really long time, like there are things you just kind of go through the motions and you kind of become accustomed to, to, to what these things, kind of some of these things that we do, these rituals, the traditions, the, it just kind of becomes routine. And so we're going to dive into this, and I'm excited because I really think that, that over the next few weeks, we get an opportunity to redefine and establish worship culture here at Adventure, not just for us as a church, but really for us as people. What does it mean for us not just to come in and do worship, but to be people that worship? Uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? But before we do that, I want to do a little exercise, okay? So it's, don't, don't be weirded out by this, okay? Just here's what I want you to do, okay? Follow me. Go with me on this one. Close your eyes. All right, everybody close your eyes. And what I want you to do is, is, is just kind of think about and picture in your mind something that you want, like something that you desire, right? Just kind of picture in mind with your eyes closed, just kind of get that thing in your mind, kind of get a picture, get a mental picture of whatever it is, something that you want. Maybe it's a vacation, maybe it's a new car, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a new job. Picture that thing. That you want. Now, here's the second, second question or second thing to think about, right? So, you got that thing in your mind. Whatever that thing is, what's the cost? What's the price tag? What's, what's required to, to get what it is that you want? So, in your mind, as you're picturing whatever that is, I want you to kind of picture the price tag, like price is right, price tag. Here's what this, the actual retail price of whatever this thing is. I want you to kind of picture that in your mind as well. Put that price tag on whatever it is that you're, that you're picturing, okay? So that's the second thing. So you got that thing in your mind, whatever it is, and now there's a price tag attached to it. What does it cost? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's something you have to pay for. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's effort. Maybe it's energy. Maybe it's presence. Maybe it's attention. Maybe it's those kinds of things. What is it? What's the cost, right? Now, here's the third thing. Honest question time. Yes or no? Answer in your mind. Is what you want really and truly worth the price it costs to get it? So as you're kind of picturing whatever that thing is in your mind and the price tag, you know the price tag, you know what it costs. The question is this, is it worth it? Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to invest the resources required to get whatever it is? All right, so here's what I want you to do. Open your eyes and just look to the person next to you and just tell them your answer, yes or no. Is it worth it? Ready, go. I'm hearing some yeses. I'm hearing some no. I heard a really emphatic no. I'm like, okay, good, good, good. Like we're, 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 we're maybe, maybe we're getting some, some life things figured out this morning. It's actually not worth it. So here's the deal. You, you may have heard this quote. There's this guy. His name is John Naisbit. I hope I'm saying his last name right, Naisbit, something like that. He's credited with this phrase, right? This phrase, value, which is what something is really and truly worth, right? Value is ultimately whatever someone is willing to pay for whatever it is that they want. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, that what something is worth is ultimately, really, it's whatever somebody is willing to pay to get whatever it is they want. Like, that's why you see people paying, like, half a million dollars for, like, like Tom Brady's last touchdown pass, right? The ball that he threw for his final touchdown pass. Somebody paid, like, like hundreds of thousands of dollars for this, and then Tom Brady unretired, right? So I've heard that he's giving the money back, which I think is, is, a, is a nice thing, right? But it is. It's like, what is that? Tom Brady's last touchdown pass, it's worth whatever somebody is willing to pay for it, which is why you see crazy things happening all the time. So what we can say then is kind of based on this saying, if something really is worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it, the kind of formula for understanding value kind of looks like this. It's your level of desire and want 
plus an honest consideration of the cost. Like, what is this really going to cost me? You kind of sit down and you think about it, you weigh it out. So you add your level of desire and your want. You add the honest consideration of cost to your willingness, right? How willing am I to pay the price and invest my resources? From that formula, when you add those things up, whatever those things add up to, that's the true worth and true value. Whatever that adds up to is whatever something is worth. Now, here's the thing. The reality is this. We do this little, like, close your eyes exercise. We work this little formula right here in real time all of the time. We kind of weigh out whatever it is that we want, whatever it is that we're after, against whatever it costs to get it. And based on kind of an honest assessment of how much we want something and a real understanding of what it's going to require to get it, we can determine if it's worth it or not. And either we go after whatever it is that we want We pursue that, we invest the resources, we invest the time, effort, energy, or we kind of abandon ship, it's not worth it, right? Another way of looking at this in terms of, especially as we dive into worship, is like this. It's kind of a combination. It's the the working of our hearts, our heads, and our hands, right? This is kind of when when it comes to expressing value and worth, it's this kind of, it's this mashup of work that happens in our heart, our heads, and our hands. So first thing happens is this. We want something, we desire something with our hearts, Right? The things that we want, the things that we desire, the things that we're after, that usually starts right here. I desire something. I want something. I have a need. I feel like there's a need for something. So it starts in our hearts, and then it moves into our brains. Right. So what do we do is we figure out the cost. We sit and think about it. We have this desire that's here, and our heart starts communicating with our brains, and our brains go, all right, well, let's figure out what, it, what it's going to cost to get this thing that we want. And ultimately, if we decide to pursue it, we, we're going to show that with our hands, right, with our actions, We're going to show it with our lives. That's kind of how it works. And so you think about this. The things that we buy, the things that we purchase, the things that we go out and get, the things that we spend our money on, that starts with a desire. We have a desire to to purchase something. We want something, whether it's food, groceries, clothes, whether it's something nice, it doesn't matter. Like well, there's, there's a desire for this. So we're going to figure out what does it cost? Do I have enough money in my checking account to do what I need to do to purchase this? And then once we figure the cost, we go buy it, right? That's how it works. It's our hearts, it's our heads, and it's our hands. Going on vacations. Like we're trying to figure out in our family right now what summer vacation is going to look like for us. And so it's like, all right, we know we need to kind of, we need to go on a vacation this summer. We need to find a time as a family to, to kind of pull back and step away. We desire that. So what's, what's it going to cost us? Let's figure out, do we have what it takes to be able to pay for a vacation? If we do, yeah, let's book the tickets. But it goes beyond just kind of purchasing things, Right? For some of us, we, we, we do this when it comes to deciding whether or not we're going to take a job or whether or not we're going to stay in the job that we're in or whether or not we're going to take the promotion or whether or not we're going we're gonna to accept a new role, right? We've got this desire in our hearts to advance, to, to be promoted, to have more status, more influence. And so an opportunity comes along, and what do we do? We start to weigh that cost. What's it really going to cost me to step into a new role? It's going to take more of my time. It's going to require more of my attention. It, means, it may mean that I'm going to have to spend more time at the office and less time at home. Is it worth it? Do I take this job or, or not? Goals, our dreams, our ambitions, we figure those things out. Like for me right now, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to get back in shape, right? I'm in shape, it's just round, which is a shape, okay? So I'm trying to work my way, and it's like, okay, I've got this dream. I've got this ambition. I want to take care of myself. I want to be healthy, I want to be able to keep up with my kids. I want to be able to run up a flight of stairs without getting to the top and going, man, right? I want to be able to do that. So it's like, all right, what's the cost? The cost is you got to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Is it really worth it? Some mornings it is. 
Most mornings it's not, right? Like, is it worth it? Is it worth the cost? I'm going to demonstrate that with my presence, right? Our relationships, friendships, marriages, things like that. We desire relationships in our hearts. We weigh the cost. What's, this, what's the cost of this relationship? Where's the sacrifice? And this, what am I giving up? What's needed of me in a marriage, in a friendship? What's needed of me in this? Is it worth it? Is it worth what this costs? We do this little exercise all the time to determine value. And when we determine worth and value, we decide whether or not we're going to pursue it. Now, you might be thinking, hold up a second. I thought we were going to spend some, some, some time talking about worship. Why are we talking about economics, worth, value, head, heart, hands, all that kind of stuff? Here's why. That's what worship is. That's what worship is. Now, see, I, my guess is this. Before today, if I asked you to fill in this blank, worship is blank, you would probably say music. You'd probably say something like singing or church songs, or songs about Jesus, or Jesus music, right? Like, when we think about worship, that's kind of what we think. Like, worship is, you know, we know, like, the band's going to play a few songs, and then Brad's going to talk, and then the band's going to, like, but that part is worship. When we have worship nights here at Adventure, you come up, you show up, and what, you, what do you expect? You expect to hear music. That's typically what we do. We think about worship, we think about music. But here's the truth. We take this big thing called worship, and we pack it into a little box, and it gets squashed down into singing a few songs each week at church. We kind of pack it into this little container, and it becomes just singing a few songs at church. We, we treat and we, we approach worship like it's a thing. Like it's a thing. It's, it's, it's just something that we do. It's, it's a song. It's something that we listen to. It's a genre of music. It's, it's that kind of. But here's the thing. That's not what worship is at all at its core. In fact, when we think about the musical side of worship, that barely even scratches the surface of what worship is. So here's, here's what worship is, right? Worship comes from, originally the word we use for worship comes from an old Saxon word, and I'm not even going to try to say that, right? I don't know what, how to say that, but it comes from this old Saxon word, right, that's that. And that word became this word, worth-ship, so this word originally became this word, worth, worth-ship, to describe worship. Now today, we say this. We say worship. Right? So it's gone from this really funky word to worth-ship to worship. Now here's the definition. Here's the definition of worship. Here's what it means. It means to give and express proper value and worth for something or someone. That's what it means. That's what worship is. So you're going to fill in the blank, right? We're kind of doing spoiler alert. We're spoiling the, the whole series on week one. Like, what do you put in the blank? What is worship? This is worship. Worship is expressing. It's giving proper value and worth to something or someone. It's not a noun. Worship isn't a noun. It's a verb. Worship isn't a thing. It's an action. It's an action that's rooted in expressing what we think something or someone is worth. It's how we demonstrate how much value someone or something has. How much I desire someone, right, which is in my heart. It starts in my heart. My desire or my want for something or someone, right, that, that shapes how I think, right? So worship starts here. It moves here, right? That shapes how I think. How much I desire or want something or someone, it starts here. It shapes how I think about whatever that thing is, which ends in me doing what? Expressing that expressing my desire and my thoughts in what I do, right, out here. 
In the book of Revelation, John, he gives, us a, he gives us a great picture of what worship really and truly is when he describes this scene that takes place in kind of the throne room, right, at God's throne in heaven. Revelation chapter 4 says this. If you've got your Bibles, you can open those up. Bible app, you can open that up. If you need a Bible, we've got them in the back. They're free. You can take those home with you. You can also follow along with us here. It says this. It says, day and night, they never stop saying this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now stop right here. Just leave this up here for a second because what we see as worship is happening in Revelation, this scene that, that John has in, in front of God's throne, we see that, that everything is expressing, is expressing their, their desire, the worth, and all of that of God with, with their actions, right? What they desire in their hearts, what they think about God in their heads, when it comes to how much God is worth, they're expressing that. And what do they say? God, you are holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That word holy means this, unlike anything else. God, you are unique. You are unique. You, you stand alone. There is nothing or no one that can compare to you, God. You are incomparable. And they say it three times, right? Now, it goes on. It says this. is Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sit on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. And what do they say? You are worthy. You are worthy, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things. And by your will, they were created and they have their being. So what do we see in action just in these few verses? We see worth and value being expressed. I desire, I desire God to show you my worth, to show you how much I desire you, to show you how much I value you, to show you how much you're worth. I desire that in my heart, I know it in my brain, and I show it with my life. It starts here, it moves here, it makes its way out here. It goes on in Revelation 5, starting in verse 11, it says, Then I looked up, John says, Then I looked up and I heard the voice of many angels numbering in the thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Now they're, now they're talking about Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then John says this, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is, right, all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said this, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Like that's the scene. That's the scene that we get in this kind of throne room scene, in this, this throne room scene that, that John has as he's explaining. This is what it's going to look like. This is what worship really looks like. And I just want to make sure, did you catch that? Did you catch what's going on? There's a lot going on in these few kind of chunks of Scripture, right? So let me just point out a few things, right? Nowhere in that scene do we see worship limited to just a few songs in a church service once a week. Nowhere in that do we see. It's just, it's just three or four songs done at the right time, at the right key, at the right rhythm, at the right speed, once a week in church on a Sunday. We don't see in their worship described as like a, a style of music that they play on like Christian radio. We don't see worship as a genre that you can stream on Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to. Worship, in this case, is not a thing that we can pack into a nice little box and open it up and take it out when we want and then put it back in and put it away when we're done. That's not what worship is. 
The real and authentic worship that we see in Revelation is something that happens. What we see is this. It happens day and night. It happens day and night. It says that they never stopped. Right? And and you see these words like forever and ever, right? Like those, when we talk about worship, what is worship? It's something that happens all the time. It's something that is unstoppable and never ceasing. It's something that happens and goes on forever and ever. So let's kind of redefine worship for us here at Adventure, right? Here's what worship isn't. Number one, worship is not a take it or leave it object that we can tap into and use when we feel like it. That's not what worship is. Worship is this. Worship is an all, time, all the time, every day, in all things, active way of stating and expressing how much we believe God is worth. It starts in our hearts. We know it in our minds. Our minds are renewed, like we read in Scripture, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? It starts in our hearts. Our minds are transformed and renewed by what we know to be true and what we believe about God and how much, how much he is worth and how valuable he is. And we can't help in that moment. When we desire him here, when we are transformed here, you can't help but to demonstrate that with your life. That's just the natural progression of how it works. That's how God made us. So in all that we do, And in all that we are, with our hearts and our heads and our hands, we give proper worth and value to God. Why? Why do we do that? Because just like we read in Revelation, it says that he's worthy. What does that mean? See, see, worth and worthiness go hand in hand. Worth is our value, right? We figured out what that means. We know what that is. What something is worth, right, that is that value. Worthiness, right, is what is deserved, based on value. So worth is value. It's what something is worth to us. And worthiness is whatever that is or whoever that is, it's what we feel like they deserve based on what we believe their value to be. Now, once we determine, once we determine what something or someone is worth, that level of desire and want in our hearts, right, what we know about the cost here, what we're willing to show and do with our lives, we determine how worthy they are. How much of our time are you going to get? If you're wor- how much of my time? Like, I, I figure out, like, this is, this is how much you're worth. Now I figure out how much of my time you're worthy of. How much of my attention are you worthy of? How much of my care are you worthy of? How much of my resources do you deserve? Right? So what we would say is this. High worth equals high worthiness. And think about this. This is true in your life. Take this outside of the walls of the church. Take this outside of, of worship. This is the, we do this. Something that we deem to be valuable and worth a lot gets a lot of our worthiness, which means this. You deserve to get a lot of what I have to give. We give a lot of ourselves to things that we deem worthy. And we deem them worthy. Why? Because they're worth a lot. And the opposite of that is also true. Something that has low worth or low value is low worthiness, right? You don't deserve to get much of anything from me. I don't give you much time. I don't give you much attention. I don't give you much of my resources. You don't get much from me. So when it comes to worshiping God, Donald Whitney says this. It's a great quote. It says, to, to worship God means to ascribe proper worth, right, which is that interaction of our head, our hearts, and our hands, right? We feel it, we know it, we show it. Worshiping God means ascribing proper worth to God, to magnify his worthiness, which is what he deserves, right? His worthiness of praise, what he deserves based on his worth. He says, or better, to approach and address God as he is worthy, which means this, he is deserving of what? 
Whitney says this, as, as the holy and almighty God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, God is worthy. He deserves all of the worth and honor. How much? All of it. How much is God worth? Everything. How much, how much is he then worthy of? Everything. Those two things go together, right? He says he is worthy of all the worth and honor that we can give him and then infinitely more. See, in all of that, as we read this, all of that sounds great. And it sounds awesome, but here's where things get tricky for us. See, every single day we face a war for where we focus our worth and our worthiness. There's a battle, there's a competition for where you and I focus our worth and worthiness. In fact, in kind of the realm of social media now, there's this thing called the economy of attention, where literally they place dollar and cent value on where we focus our attention and how much of our attention they can get. There is a war, there is a competition for where we focus our worth and our worthiness. And here's what I mean by that, right? There is a competition, to claim this, the top spot as the number one desire in your heart. There's a competition to be the thing that consumes your thoughts, to be the thing that keeps you up at night, to be the thing that you think about, to be the thing that you go to bed thinking about, to be the thing that you dream about, to be the thing that you wake up thinking about, to be the thing that ultimately you pursue with your life. There's a competition, there's a war for what we choose to dedicate our lives to. And the result is this. Sometimes we end up giving ultimate worth and worthiness to things that are not God, and we treat them as if they were. That's just real. We give ultimate worth and worthiness to things that are not God, and we treat them as if they were. We hand over our feelings. We hand over our thoughts, and ultimately we hand over our lives to things that pretend to be God but are not. And there's a word for this. We see this in scripture. It's called idolatry, right? And this is a big deal. God has major issues with idolatry. In Isaiah 44, starting in verse six, he says this. This is God speaking about idolatry, right? Straight from his mouth. says, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. God says, apart from me, there is no God. He says, who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. It's essentially God saying this, like whatever out there is trying to pretend to be me in your life, tell whatever that thing is to step up to the plate and take a swing and give it a shot and see if it could be me. Give it a shot. Whatever in your life is pretending to be me, whatever in your life you are giving ultimate worth and worthiness to, whatever in your life you are feeling, you are thinking about, and you are chasing with your life that is not me, tell them to step up to the plate and give it a shot. See if they can do what I do. See if they can be who I am. God goes on, he says, did I not proclaim this and foretell this long ago? You're my witnesses. Is there any God beside me? No, he answers his own question. God does a really good job sometimes of asking rhetorical questions. Is there any other God before me? Don't answer that, I got you. No, that's the answer. There is no other rock, I know not one, he says. And then God says this, all who make idols are nothing. And, they, and the treasures, right, their treasure, the things that they treasure are worthless, is what God says. 
And then down in verse 20, kind of God goes on this big tirade, right, of connecting all these dots of why idolatry is such a, is such a fool's errand, why it is, is such a worthless pursuit. And kind of down at the end of this, and I would encourage you, go home and read Isaiah chapter 44. Because God lays it all out, right? He goes through like all of why, why idolatry is a bad idea and it is not worth our time. And at the end of this kind of explanation, as God's kind of rolling this out, he says this. He says, people who pursue idolatry, he said, such a person feeds on ashes. He says that a deluded heart misleads him. He cannot say, save himself or say the thing that he's pursuing, right, the thing that is in my right hand, he cannot see because he is so blinded that the thing that he's pursuing as if it were God, the thing that he's giving ultimate worth and value to as if it were God, even though it is not, he cannot see, he cannot even see the fact, is this, is not the thing in my right hand a lie? And if you can't pick up on this just from these few verses, God has big time issues with idolatry, when we pursue things, when we give ultimate worth and worthiness to things that are not him, you may go, well, why? Why does God have such a big, like, why is this such a big issue for him? Really kind of two reasons. Two reasons. The first has to do with him directly. The other has to do with his concern for us. So let's kind of unpack these, right? God, the reason that God has such a big issue with idolatry, number one, is God knows who he is. Right, that's his name. God, see, God is God's title. God is not God's name. God is his title. His name is Yahweh, which means I am. When he says it, it means I am. When we say it, it means he is. So when someone asks, who is God? We say Yahweh, he is. Who's in charge? Yahweh, he is. When God says it, who's in charge? Yahweh, I am. Who's the author and creator of everything? Yahweh, he is. God says, Yahweh, I am. See, God knows that there is nothing and no one that can compare to his power, his authority, his ability, his knowledge, his care, his love, his judgment, his ability to get things right. Like God is a perfect judge. He's a perfect judge of what to do and when to do it. He's a perfect judge of how to get things done. He's a perfect judge of right and wrong. And like he says, I'm the first and I'm the last. So you may ask yourself, like, where is God on the spectrum of gods? He is the spectrum. He is the spectrum. He's the first and he's the last. He takes up the whole thing. You go, well, where does God rank in the rank of gods. There's not a top 10, he says, there's just me. In fact, he even says this, apart from me, other than me, there is no God, there, I'm it. There's not a top 10 list, there's not a top five list, there's not a top three list, there's a top one list, and his name is the only name on it. And here's the thing, because he knows who he is, he's not going to sit by, he's not gonna let anything less than him try to claim his spot in our lives. Think about this for a second, okay? Let's, because I know idolatry, when you think about idolatry, like when you, especially when you read about it in scripture, like, you know, you think about like old school, like people carving things and worshiping statues and things like that. I, I want to I make this as real as humanly possible today. Think about this, okay? Let's say tomorrow, tomorrow you come home from work or carpool or school or whatever it is, you come home this week 
And you walk in the door, and there's a clone of you in your house. Think about this, okay? And it's not really even a good clone of you. It's like the cheap knockoff clone version of you. It's like the Dr. Thunder, which is the Walmart version of Dr. Pepper, right? Which is not even close. If you ever had, don't be fooled. It's the same color. It kind of looks the same, has the same kind of font, not the same, right? The Dr. Thunder Walmart knockoff version of you is sitting in your house. And this imposter, right, they're claiming to be you. They're claiming to be married to your spouse. They're claiming to be your kid's parent. And your family, they're falling for it. They're buying it. They believe that the Sam's Choice knockoff clone version of you is you. They're giving it worth and worthiness. They're letting whoever that is sit in your spot on the couch. They're letting whoever that is take your place at the table. They're letting whoever that is sleep in your bed. How would you respond to that? You'd go crazy, right? Let me just answer that for you. Like, everybody's sitting here staring at me like, don't, like, stop, right? You're allowed in this moment to express a little something. If this happened, you would go nuts. You would lose your mind. Whoever or whatever that thing was, was would be buried in a hole out back like that, right? You'd look back at your family, and you'd say this. What were you thinking? Like, what were you thinking? How could you think that was me? Like, that wasn't me. That wasn't even close to being me. That was a cheap knockoff version. That was something that was trying to pretend to be me. That wasn't even close to being me. How could you fall for that? How could you buy that? When you kind of work through that, now you know how God feels when we let anything other than him claim his place in our lives. He knows he's the real deal. And for him, there's nothing or no one that even comes close So we let these imposters, these things, these cheap knockoff clone versions of God, the Dr. Thunder, mountain lightning version of God sit in that spot. And it's not even close. And we give those things worth and worthiness. We give them value. That's the reason God has such major issues with idolatry because he knows he's the real deal and the thing that you're pursuing is not. And the second reason that God has major issues with idolatry is rooted in his care for us. Like he says in Isaiah 44, when we give worth and worthiness to idols, we're giving value to things that are worthless. He says their treasure is worthless. He said we feed on ash. It's not good for us. There's nothing in it that's good, right? He says our hearts are deluded, and we think whatever it is that we're worshiping and whatever it is that we're giving worth and value to will care for us and provide for us and ultimately save us. And God says it's nothing but a lie, and you can't see it. God does not want us to fall for that. He doesn't want us to be deceived by that. He doesn't want to see us wrap our lives around something or someone that can't provide for us, that ultimately doesn't care for us, and that ultimately can't save us and won't save us, and if we're being honest, was never going to. So you think about those things that you're giving worth and worthiness to, that thing that you wanted and that price tag and whether or not it was worth it. For some of us, those things... We honestly believe if I can just get my hands on that, then, then my life will be safe. Then I'll be saved. We give saving power to things that can't save us, 
that won't save us and honestly never could. See, when we get a better, better handle on what worship is, when we understand that worship is expressing worth to what we deem worthy, what you can see is this. Everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. Everybody worships. We all worship. The question is this. Who or what do you worship? Are you giving your worship to God who is truly worth it and worthy of it, or are you giving your worship to an imposter, a cheap knockoff version that can't provide for you, does not care about you, won't care for you, and will never save you, even though it makes promises that it can't keep? You hear hear me say this a lot. You got two deals on the table. You got two deals on the table. You have two options. Of what you're going to give your worship to, the question is this, which one are you going to go with? Do the exercise that we did earlier, right? What's your heart after? What are you pursuing with your heart? What are you chasing, right? What are you, is what you're chasing with your life, right, really worth what it's promising you? Think about what it's costing you. What are you really paying? right now for the things that you're pursuing with your life? What are you really giving up? What are you really sacrificing? And here's the big one, right? Is it worth it? Is it worthy of it? Is it really that valuable? And does it deserve what you're giving it? Think about that. I want to wrap up today by kind of pressing a reset button on worship. And the best way to do that is, is by going through the Psalms. And so we're going to read a Psalm here in just a minute, and we're going to do it a little different. So I just want to say this, right, before we do this, because this is kind of how we're going to close. It's going to be our closing prayer. We're going to go right into worship after this. We're going to go into, right into singing some songs that are worship, that express worship after this, okay? So I just want to say this. If, if you've never had an opportunity to, to say yes to Jesus before, and you want to do that today, I would love to have that conversation with you. Anyone on our staff or our elders, they would love to have that conversation with you. You need prayer today, I would love to pray with you. Our staff would love to pray with you. Our elders would love to pray with you. If you want to talk about what it looks like to join our church, you can do that, right? So I'm saying all that now because what we're getting ready to do is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be a moment here in a second where you have an opportunity to say, all right, I need to press a reset button. I need to press a reset button on what I understand worship to be and what worship is and what it looks like. We're going to read this psalm, and a lot of the psalms are written by this guy named David who became one of the most famous kings of Israel. But before David was a king, he was a shepherd. And when David would be out with the sheep, right, he'd spend his day watching the sheep. He'd spend his nights, like, out in the field caring for the sheep. And while he was caring for the sheep, David, when he was a boy, would write songs, and he would write poems about God to God that were for God. And throughout David's life, these poems and these songs, they're real and they're raw and they're honest. No matter what David was going through and the things that David dealt with, which David dealt with some crazy family stuff, he was real and he was raw and he was honest with God about what was going on in his life, but he never took value away from him. And as we go through the series, we're going to dig more into the way that David did this, the way that David gave value to God, the way that David expressed worth, right? But to end today, what I want to do is I want to read Psalm 145, because this whole psalm is about giving worth and worthiness to God. And if you're wondering what this looks like and how to do this, it goes like this. I want everybody to do this. Stand up on your feet. 
And we're going to do a little Bible karaoke, like we've done this in the past, right? So the words that you see in yellow, you will say. The words that you see in white will be me, okay? So we're going to read this entire psalm together. And here's what I want you to do in this. This is your chance to press a reset button. This is your chance to, to, to feel that, to reset the desire and want in your heart and push the things that the imposters that want to be God, to push those things out and away and allow God to move back into the space that ultimately is his. It's a chance for you to press your reset button here. It's a chance for you to press the reset button here to go like, what are the things that I am counting the cost? What are the things that I'm giving my thoughts to that want to be God that are not? It's a chance to go, God, you are worth and you are worthy of everything. And it's a chance now for us to show this with our lives. Here's what it says. Psalm 145 starts like this. I will exalt you, my God and my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Together, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of your power, of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of your glory, the glory of your kingdom, and they speak of your might so that all people will know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all that he promises and faithful in all that he does. The Lord upholds all who fall down and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look on you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all that he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen.